Hi everybody, welcome to All Over It, and today we were talking to Jeff Hancock from GetFIFA, which is an online cryptocurrency exchange uh, based in the UK. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We talk about a variety of different things around the cryptocurrency space, and Jeff talks about um, his company GetFIFA and how they operate. We were also joined by Peter, who decided to join us and ask some very, very kind of important questions about the whole cryptocurrency space and questions that people wanting to get into it want to know more about, you know, where do these currencies derive their value from? Well, I say currencies, these tokens, I suppose, derive their value from and where did Bitcoin just, is it just a kind of um, one-off or is there true intrinsic value in it? Hope you enjoy. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? You all right? I'm good. Thanks. Sorry for being late. Uh, no worries at all. It's fine. Um, yeah, so should we just get started with um, you introducing yourself and, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about Get FIFA. Oh, well, the, first of all, thank you for having us on the podcast. It's obviously great to be able to get our, our, um, you know, our message and our, our business out there. It's a very crowded space in crypto at the moment. Um, my name is Jeff Hancock. I'm originally from Australia. I moved to the United Kingdom uh, in 2010. The background has always been in IT and tech. And um, in 2017, early 2018, we decided to uh, launch our own cryptocurrency platform because there was nowhere in the UK you could spend just £100 to buy some Bitcoin. You could use some really expensive institutional platforms or you could use USD or, or Euros. So we decided to build a, a retail platform that was retail focused to be easy to use, uh, transparent, you know, super high premium and, and offer really, really good support. Uh, and we've succeeded in that. We've, we've opened in October of 2018 in the middle of the bear market. And, uh, and since then, we've helped uh, you know, hundreds, of, uh, hundreds of our investors uh, to get in and out of the crypto market, which is, uh, which is really, really good. Yeah, that's awesome, especially considering the fact that you launched in the bear market. I think for those that don't know, probably the hype of all kind of cryptocurrencies was probably towards the end of 2017, begin maybe January 2018. That's kind of when it peaked. And then from then, it just kind of snowballed all the way down. Um, like for a comparison, so the price of Bitcoin started up at... Uh, got up to about 20k and then went down to was it about 3,000 ish. Yeah, 3,000 is the bottom. So if you look at your know, start to finish, it started at about a thousand dollars. You know, and, and with a matter of months, with ICO fever and with you know uh, a lot of retail money getting on board and a lot of hype and you know there's a lot of different facets to the market that you know what really caused that massive ballooning so quickly. Uh, but we went basically from a thousand to twenty thousand in a very very short space of time, and went from twenty thousand down to three thousand in, in half of that. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of when we launched. So you know we launched uh, you know, right in the middle of the winter. Um, there were very few people putting more money into the market. Uh, I think when we launched, Bitcoin price is about still about seven k, and when it went from seven k down to four k. Everyone, well, you know, some people that we were talking to at the time, and you know, whether they were potential investors or they've been in the market for a while or they're looking for new businesses, they were like, "How are you going to get any new sales?" And and in that that month of November of 2018 uh, was you know our second biggest month on on record. You know, we uh, signed up like 150 clients, and now it was our third month trading. Um, and we, we did an incredible amount of sales uh, just before I was preparing to go to Australia for the first time in, in, in like four years. So it was um, you know, all, about, all, all hands on deck, and we were still rapidly de deploying our, our MVP at the time as well. So 
you know everything was brand new while while running at full speed which was uh uh really 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 stressful but uh really exciting at the same time but i think i think that's a testament to um what you've been able to achieve and well done like you know being able to launch and launch at 7k bitcoin go down to about 4 3k and then everyone kind of wanting to leave and then you realize whoa okay this is probably really really tough because you launch a business and then if the price of crypto is dropping but you're still able to maintain and trade um yeah it's just really really impressive and i, th- I think that's because we i mean hey, we're we're aiming for you know a massive market you know we're we're primarily based here in the UK, but I mean, uh, crypto is global, and there are you know just as many investors in the UK as other parts of the world that are, have you know been ripped off by by various exchanges, or they they don't necessarily want to work with the biggest brand, and they don't want to be just another number. There are a lot of a, a lot of clients from you know the five hundred dollar range all the way up to you know fifty to one hundred thousand pounds of spending power that you know uh, are unhappy with with some of the service they've been getting. And, you know, whether you've got, you know, you get up to, you know, Coinbase is our biggest competitor. They're worth about $8 billion now. They've just done their Series E uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's exceptionally hard to, to give good service to 13 million users. And when you're exposed to, you know, so many different countries uh, and trying to fit within the regulations of every single one of those on one, you know, one, uh, one platform, uh, it's kind of near impossible. So they kind of do the best they can and whichever regulation is toughest, that's just what they go with. And and some of the friction they've had to add to the market, I mean, they're still the most liquid. They've got a great brand. Um, you know, everyone's got a Coinbase account. But the the friction of getting money in and getting money out now has started to, you know, allow some gaps in the market where, where small businesses like mine can actually bring quite a lot of value to a you know, to a, a certain number of people that are willing to kind of take a chance on a hundred pounds. Okay, I got it in and out really quick. Are they, do they still know what they're doing? Uh, they come back with five hundred. They come back with a thousand. And and some people that have kind of tested us out with very very small amounts, uh, almost like a bit of a if if you're a poker player at all, kind of you know, keep checking, checking, checking to see more cards. Uh, eventually, come back with you know quite quite reasonable, quite not reasonable, quite a sizable amounts of investment that they that they want to be taken care of with, uh, and we've managed to carve out quite a you know quite a uh, loyal fan base and quite a loyal customer base by doing just that. Well, I mean, your fees are like when you look at the basis of it, they are cheaper than Coinbase's. And I suppose when people are looking at smaller amounts, it might not make a huge difference. But when you're talking about larger, larger amounts, that's you know, percentages matter. Yeah, um, and and it's it's probably just down the way it's calculated. I mean, some of them are you know, uh, if you're on the Coinbase Pro product, for instance, just because everyone we'll, we'll stick with those analogies, just because everyone everyone knows what they're dealing with there. Use the Pro product, yeah, it it might be 0.2 of a percent, but. Uh, they've recently changed their banking to Estonia. So now you're sending your pounds outside of the country uh, just to get a cheaper rate. So that's an extra day that you're losing. There might be some banking fees. Um, but there's some other little tricky bits in there about where you place your orders and stuff is that you may not get filled. Um, if you use the regular product, you know, the regular uh, Coinbase broker product, which we all, we all, we all know and love, um, the, the, some of the fees can be an average of 2%, 2.5%. Uh, sometimes as high as four percent, depending how, how you're how you're spending and how you're entering. Uh, I mean, that, that your, always shocks me because it's always yeah. cheap. It's just cheaper to use Coinbase Pro than it is to yeah. use actual Coinbase. I don't know yeah. why people. But now they're and now they're um, they're flipping between you. Know, if you do a purchase, it takes five days to release, and with some of the volatility in the market now, with five days is, is a huge amount of time to not being able <laughs> to you know sell that position, move that position, trade it on yeah. another platform. You know, that, sure. it's 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 crazy. I mean, even going from Coinbase and it came, but Coinbase Pro, 
that's still a five-day lock. So, you know, it's it's the way that some of these platforms are developing because they have, you know, a regulatory oversight or because they're trying to, you know, keep more money inside their infrastructure. They don't want you removing it. They don't want you uh, to be uh, uh, to be exiting into fiat or, ex- or, or moving the coins off somewhere else. They want you to be trading on on their platform and not going anywhere else. I mean, that's that's the incentive, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got someone else wanting to join. Um, it's Peter Pan. So we'll, we'll let him join. Maybe he's got a question. <laughs> Hi, Peter. How are you doing? You all right? Hey, I'm good. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm great, man. It's a, it's a beautiful sunset just just now, and I wanted to chip in. The conversation seems to be really cool. I, awesome. I wanted to, to kind of understand a little bit more about this and maybe ask you a few more questions. Because, again, it seems like you're quite... You're quite keen on rapid movement and liquidity of of investment, which is quite interesting. But I was curious, are you achieving this because this is a derivative or are you actually making the transactions when people are selling and buying? That's a really, really good question. So we don't do anything with derivatives or CFDs. We are, you know, even though crypto is digital, we're still a, you know, physical digital product, if that makes sense. So when you buy a Bitcoin, you want to remove it and you want to withdraw it then, you know, that's exactly what we do. You know, uh, fiat comes in, crypto goes out, or, you know, vice versa. Um, and we don't do any kind of lock on, on funds. So how we're a little bit different than some others is that get FIFO, the founders, the directors, we have our own you know, our own skin in the game. We have a treasury compliance and, and, and risk that's all managed in-house. Anytime we have an order, you know, larger you know, than, than our coffers allow, then we have uh, 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 a, uh, what do you call it, a... Uh, an ordering line to an institutional provider, uh, which our COO has a, a very close relationship with. So that's how we're able to do what we do, uh, be able to compete with the big boys. Uh, but we do, it's not a derivative or a CFD. It's a proper you know, delivered di- digital asset. That is really good to know, actually. I think that's going to put a lot of minds at ease to know, <laughs> to know that yeah, you're actually... Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I think just uh, like it, like you say, it's 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 a it's a good peace of mind, and I suppose that's where transparency kind of comes from. Um, I don't know how to look uh, a lot of companies up in different countries. You can Google, you can kind of do this and that. Uh, but if you're in the UK, everyone's heard of Company's House, and you can go to you know, go to Company's House, and you can look at who we are. Um, you can look up who the founders of the company are. You know, we're very auditable, we're very transparent in that kind of way. So, you know, for that very for that very reason, it's going to be, you know, quite interesting over the next 12 months because there are there are smaller competitors coming out. They are trying to, you know, carve out their little niche. Uh, a lot of them think it's really easy to do, you know, uh, to, to run an exchange, uh, especially doing the fiat side. And I, I can tell you it's not. Uh, the, crypto, the crypto to crypto side may be a bit easier because you can just white label Huobi or you can white label uh, OKX for about 20,000 US dollars, you know, and they'll do everything for you. Um, what if we but the, step back the, for for a bit and and kind of understand who who crypto investment is for? Who who would you say this this is really you know positioned for? Who for our particular product or crypto crypto yeah. itself? Both, I guess. Um, so yeah, again, double barrel question. So for us, um, anyone wanting to spend from a hundred pounds up to a hundred thousand pounds, you know, we can do kind of any. Any kind of size or, or orders, yeah, you know, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, fees are flat across all of them. Um, we're about to roll out a new tiering accounted accounting system and a tiered reward system as well. So you know, if you go trade on a platform, you're encouraged to trade, right? 
and you'll get a, a discount on your fees for every 30 days. But we're going to flip that on its head a little bit is we're going to change that to, you know, if you go and buy, you know, 10,000 pounds worth of Bitcoin through our platform, you'll go on to say level two and then you'll stay there. You won't drop off after 30 days. So we're kind of doing like a lifetime volume kind of reward because, you know, I don't buy Bitcoin every 30 days. No one that I know in my circle trade every crypto every single day. You know, they're more prop traders or position traders over over um, weeks and months. Uh, or they're just holders, you know? Yeah, there's there's a lot. I agree. There's a lot um, yeah. from my, kind of my network as well that do, and me and Jeff do share quite a lot uh, in terms of network. But um, they just seem to hold, so they buy and hold. So I know a lot of people yeah. that bought, mm. luckily, before kind or of the, 2016. Or the, yeah. or the you guys are in. very brave to buy and hold Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, we bought, we bought when it was cheap. Well, I mean, I bought when it was a lot cheaper. So I, I've, nice. I was like, yeah, just very lucky. You must be a billionaire. That, that's why you have the fifth and billionaire. <laughs> um, nice, nice. I wish, I wish, I wish. I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> I didn't buy enough Bitcoin, and, and I'm the idiot that sold it at 6k the first time. <laughs> well, there's there's always, um, we've always got a few friends. We've, we've always got a few friends like that. that could have, should have, would have. On, yeah, uh, I could have bought Bitcoin. I should have bought Bitcoin. Um, I haven't had my my own story like that when I was an IT guy uh, back in like 2012, I think it was, and one of our clients got hacked, and the ransom was 5,000 coins. And I think between us getting the ransom and buying it, the exchange rate had changed. And this is back in the day when you sent money to a bank account in Estonia and they were the exchange. You know, it was kind of like the centralized exchange you might know now, but, you know, it was more like an order form. They didn't even guarantee a price. So we got more than the ransom. You know, we had about 74 coins left over. Paid the ransom, got the key, unencrypted the data for the client, you know, gave them a clean network, clean everything. They started their business from scratch. But there was a, uh, a virtual machine, you know, in the data center that I worked for, which we turned off and threw, up on, threw on backup storage and then just forgot about. And there's like 74 Bitcoin in there. And yes, we've tried <laughs> to recover it. And, and no, we don't have it. Because it was, you know, you were, you know, you were, we were learning about Bitcoin from, you know, the, the Bitcoin talk um, forum back then. And it, it, I mean, the one thing about that forum, it stood the test of time. It looks like a forum from like 1997. It, it does. It's worth, like, so I hate it. I absolutely hate <laughs> it. I hate how much, how much, you know, glitz it gets and like, oh, you have to have a thread on there and all this kind of, it's, 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 a, it's a shit forum. I mean, Reddit is better and that's, oh God, stretch. yeah, by, by so far. But so yeah. far, I mean, but, um, but that's how we, you know, what's the Bitcoin? I have no freaking idea. Uh, we went on to there, we read a couple of things and I, I loaded a, a wallet uh, okay, it's an application, but it's called a wallet. Okay, cool. And if they're going to send this here and it's going to be a number on the screen, and okay, so a public address is like an IP and a, a private key is like a private IP. Okay, I kind of get that. Uh, and then some numbers appear in the screen. I'm like, sweet. Is this what 10 grand buys you? Okay, <laughs> awesome. And then we pasted some other address and cool. Now the, the numbers are gone. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's just how, because the client didn't want to do it. They paid us to do it. And then I'm like, cool, there's 74 left over. What are you going to do with that? And in those days, they had Silk Road and you could buy what, a gram of weed or so. You buy a gram of weed. <laughs> but, um, and we just literally turned the virtual machine off and walked away. And that was, you know, that was the whole thing. Should I have learned more about it then? Y- yeah, definitely. Oh, it's, it's, all, it's hindsight, right? Exactly, that, exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely hindsight. And, and that's the thing as well. We're looking at it now and everyone's going, oh, you know, I wish I bought back then. But I would say look into the future. Like one one statistic mm. told me, which was very interesting, was 
there are there aren't enough Bitcoin for every millionaire on Earth. So if you let that sink in for a second, you know, and and you know, if 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 it was to be some form, or even kind of compete on the same level of gold as a kind of store of value, you know, it's going to become a lot more valuable than it is already. Well, and that's. I, I don't know because I I'm a skeptical here, right? So I, I kind yeah, that's, of that's like good. it's good to be skeptical. I like this conversation, right? Because we can have different positions. Yeah. So I I still I still feel like it's a highly speculative market, right? Because when you're when you're buying a part of a business, you can understand the fundamentals and you can understand society in a way. But here we're just speculating that there's going to be enough trust and enough momentum behind it, and enough stakeholders behind it. To actually make it a universal sort of uh, uh, agreed upon value. Store of value. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and even when that all fits into place, there's still a problem, right? The, the mining of Bitcoin itself. It uses way a, too much energy. Yeah. Such a resource intensive yeah. process. It's not sustainable. It doesn't make any sense. You know, when, when we're trying to cut plastic, when we're trying to cut every non value add activity, just mining this nonsensical, non existent, agreed upon value takes like, I don't know, like, what was it? Like the entire energy of Norway yeah. right now? I mean, I just want to increase in the future. I think so, I think there's some. I, I completely agree with that, and I think there are other kind of projects. But no, but there are other <laughs> projects that are working on it. Like you've got so proof of work is essentially mining, which um, mm-hmm. which is which is that intensive process, and and how that kind of works is every kind of transaction needs to be verified by a miner, and then that miner gets a reward. That's kind of like the simplest way to simplify it. It's a lot more mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's how it works. Now that could definitely be done, I suppose, on um, on chain or like pr- with a proof of um, proof of stake system. So Ethereum are looking at it. So other tokens are kind of looking at a proof of stake system. Some have already launched, like EOS is kind of doing one, but they haven't really done one. Tezos is already doing one, which is another token, mm-hmm. and so it can work. The problem is, it's just if Bitcoin becomes the most popular, how do you find a solution for mm. it? And there's the thing you can do off-chain as well, can't you? Um, well, the off-chain, off-chain doesn't really solve because all the off-chain solutions mm. still have to go back to an on-chain. Yeah, it's, uh, true. it's, very, it's, it's very, very simple. It's, it's, yeah, it, it is energy intensive and they keep building faster miners that consume more energy. You, you do one simple thing. You, you start taxing the crap out of the miners to use green energy, to use solar and to use hydro and to use those but kind why of technologies. I mean, again, why would I, you? I think because, like the because, argument because the, still doesn't, doesn't go away, right? Well, that no, doesn't go away, but I mean, the uh, the energy consumption can also be challenged by we are still tied massively to fossil fuels. Now, over the past couple of years, if you've been looking, if you look at some of the other bigger macro points, is that solar used to be ridiculously expensive, and now solar is ridiculously cheap. And there's actually starting to be a flip where we stop relying on on fossil fuels and we start using renewables because they're more efficient, because they're cheaper, because you build bigger farms for half the cost. And now that kind of argument goes away because some we've in some countries of the world, like, I don't know, Australia, we've got heaps of land that's really hot that mm. doesn't get that cloudy. So you could build it with enough infrastructure and investment and pushing towards future usage, not just on Bitcoin mining and not just on whatever, but, you know, global energy consumption. I agree. I think there should be an energy race. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I th- I think the problem with argument. Yeah, but I just to problem- be the devil's advocate, I, I feel like yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're changing your energy source, doesn't mean that what you're putting that energy into is not meaningless, right? It, again, it's a huge difference between 
building a, a bridge, something like a big infrastructure project that actually pushes society. Yeah, an- I mean, I mean, but the argument could be say like AI is going to be super um, energy intensive as well. So we're yeah. going to need as a but society, a we're going to need AI, right? There's exactly. But then it depends uh, on whether or not you for, see value for, added in Bitcoin. That's yeah. more of a perception i suppose because no, like no, ab- ab- well i mean <laughs> it's a perception i mean you can go back to utility right it, yeah exactly there's, there's pure utility in uh ai right there's pure utility in going to a, an ai website that puts together the diagnosis of millions of patients and based on your symptoms is able to give you a 99 accurate uh treatment right that's better than 10 doctors there's there's value in that intrinsically yep. there's no there's no argument about it um but but again whether or not there's value intrinsically into pouring energy just to be able to agree on a on a storage of value, uh, I think the judge is, is already—I don't know—is is still out on that one. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. I think. I think it's it's more of a consensus thing. So once we get everybody, if if everybody does agree to it as a store of value, it goes back to the argument we kind of started off with. You know uh-huh. what people perceive it to be. So if That's if it. people see the value in it, if they see it as a kind of it, also a store against kind of traditional markets, if you will. You know, if you've got a kind of a safe haven, everyone runs to gold or precious metals for safe havens. But, you know, slow is gold essentially is slow. If you had the physical mm-hmm. product in you, what can you do with it if no one's really going to buy it? Yeah, it is shiny. And at least you have the physical element, I suppose. That's but, it. But it's I mean, not, it's not gold quick. Is the, gold, is the, gold is the original speculative problem, speculative asset. I mean, yeah, it's been it's around true. for thousands of years. And, yeah, it was used as money. And, yes, it's currency and all these kind of good things. But think of how much energy that is consumed in, in finding gold. Think of fuel. Think of transport. Think of the machines that. Uh, absolutely. Think of the, but but think that's of the why machines and materials that. So, we, so haven't moved, we haven't moved away from moved that. Away from that. We haven't moved away from when it at all. Started, there is still. Well, I don't know. When like, we, that's why all the currencies are not backed by gold anymore, right? So no, you moved away that, from. No, they moved away from that so they could, you know, raise their economic GDP. It's not because we can't find enough right? gold. It's because you, we you need to print more money. That, that's so it. So you don't you don't link your GDP. To the intensive effort of mining, but that doesn't slow anyone down. In the last hundred years, we've still mined, you know, swimming pools worth of gold, and they're still out absolutely. There right now. Yeah, but there, there was no alternative, right? There was no alternative of getting people together and, and nations together to agree on anything. You just had to find something that's rare enough that people could get behind, and, and gold was just in the right place. Um, so, so it makes a lot of sense why historically. Gold and other precious materials that were difficult to find became universal storage uh, storages uh, pockets of value. That, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, if you look at the very beginning of the banking system, when the Knights Templars started their own sort of exchange, they were the first ones to move away from gold because, again, gold was a nuisance in the in itself, carrying it, storing it, and mining it. So, so they were they they, they instituted this sort of bond, bond-like system between between different churches and and, and branches. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation that one. Again, I'm I'm not sure how it's going to be resolved, but I definitely feel like there's there's something there that could be optimized. It's just a lot of energy going into it. And, yeah, well, I mean, there are a lot of big banks, a lot of players, a lot of hedge funds a lot of institutions that are building and investing into it i mean mm. fidelity tv yes. america trade Absolutely. back all of those guys would not be putting the time and resources and facilities and regulation 
for no reason just to try and go to the moon. I, mean, I hope so. You know, because, I hope so because, yeah. I mean, look at Lehman Brothers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, just the fact that people are investing in things does not yeah. necessarily mean that those things are, are great. But, but I hope yeah. so. You know, I, I hope so. Because but they, I mean, in the same argument, that could be said about a lot of things. And that's, and that, you yeah. know, if, if people, even if people don't, are not investing in the most modern thing, doesn't mean that it's not going to have attributed value in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, just look at some companies that people invest in, like uh, Herbalife. Like, who? I mean, I don't know if you guys know much about Herbalife. Oh, but Herb- Herbalife. It was yeah, MLM, so, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it's an MLM, so multi-level marketing, which essentially means it's kind of like a, a different word for a pyramid scheme. And the way they only, it is though, the only way that they make money is the fact that people mm. sell the business on to other people. They don't actually sell products. They have these I kind see. of NAF products they try and sell, but they don't really sell to anybody. They only sell them to the next person that's meant to sell them on. And um, But people invest in this company and like it all came out that it was kind of completely a scam well not a scam but like uh it was a hedge fund i can't remember who it was a guy who was basically betting against it took a massive short position on it and and mm. just like provided all this evidence to prove that it was <laughs> effectively a pyramid scheme <laughs> and people still didn't believe it and they still bought the stock and they're like it knocked the stock price a little bit but it didn't completely flatten it out and then everyone accused him of just trying to short the price and stuff and so he said he will take everything he makes from it give it away to charity and still people bought into it and you're just like you know what if people are willing to buy that people are willing to buy it how beautiful is that yeah how cute are we as humans you know to, <laughs> to so so passionately hang to to, to that hope exactly you know, so it's beautiful. It's beautiful. What, what, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what an interesting behavior there. It is. It is. And so, you know, like when you have something like, you know, certain like Bitcoin, which, which does have some value in it, you know, whether you like it or don't, it does have a kind of consensus that enough people it already believe it as value. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I yeah, it's, any a, blockchain. it's a difficult one though, isn't it? Because you know, how, where do you take it? Cause there's, there's projects that I'm really kind of bullish on, but, you know, even within the space, everyone's kind of got their own opinions of what they think is going to succeed, not going to succeed. And so, so it's a difficult one. Like I agree. Mm. And, you know, originally I was not anti-Bitcoin, but I was kind of against Bitcoin in the sense that it was very unscalable, very slow. And there was a lot of kind of, um, in kind of house arguments when they were trying to do SegWit, you know, originally then it forked to Bitcoin Cash. Um, and mm. that was a big thing. And then SegWit never ended up happening. And then Bitcoin Cash forked again to Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV with a lot of in-house. And it's just like, it's difficult um, trying to scale it, I suppose, as a kind of monetary, I'd like to use it as cash because Bitcoin itself, without the implementation of something like SegWit or increasing block sizes like uh, Bitcoin Cash did, because it's just slow and it gets really yeah, expensive. The liquidity is is the difficult bit, but but you know, again, I feel like this is the this is such a good conversation to have, and it's the right time to have it as well. Right? I mean, Bitcoin without Bitcoin, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. No. I, it's a tremendous alternative to what governments have been using for for a while and they've been monopolizing this part of the economy uh, without anyone having a say in it and for the first time in in quite a while there's a there's a true contender to to currency yeah uh, and that in itself is is such a such an exciting 
you know, it makes it such Prospect. an exciting time to be alive. Yeah. But I mean, this, this is the thing that I find really interesting about Bitcoin. And I'm actually uh-huh. kind of converted now, really bullish on it is that, you know, you have that kind of aspect of it, that it could, it could replace currencies. It could, mm-hmm. it might not, but it could be an alternative currency, you know, like some could, people yeah. trained externally or across borders with Bitcoin. But if you look at things like what's happening in Venezuela and stuff, now you have a lot of money in Venezuela. You need to get that money out of Venezuela because it's mm. all going shits up. What do you do? You could buy gold, but then you have to physically transport that gold. Or you could invest in gold abroad, but you never know that you're, you're kind of trusting in custodials to make sure that you get that gold, you know? Or you can buy Bitcoin in your own Bitcoin wallet and you hold that. That's a very powerful thing to control your asset and have it kind of value go go to something else. It's, it's self-sovereign wealth. And it's yeah. kind of where yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's where banking kind of needs to go. I mean, not everyone's ready to be their own custodian. People are no, you know, can't even, people can't go paycheck to paycheck sometimes. But I mean, if, if you take people, some, uh, there's, there's two split things. There. Some people see it as an investment purely on price. And some people see it as a, a as a hedge to self-sovereign wealth. And I think in certain circles, it can be both. I don't think Bitcoin is very good for spending his money. I do think it's a good really store wealth because there is more people that want it than want to sell it so you have the you know we were talking about earlier the supply and demand thing um and and i've actually used it for many of those things you well, know? but i'm curious about that one that that one in particular jeff and, and maybe what? you you can uh which point talk to, to more about that the the reasoning behind why you would hold Bitcoin, because again, I, I think that that's where that, that's where I'm a bit fuzzy with the argumentation on. Because again, I well, I'm lacking the fundamentals and everything else that it, other investments have. So sure. is this well, I mean, or demand supply sort of? Every, every single investment in uh-huh. anyone's portfolio is speculative. I don't really care if it's property, if it's bonds and stocks. It doesn't matter. It's speculative on value. Whatever you bought it for, you have to run on the assumption that someone else is going to pay more for it later. That's I mean, and I'll. Uh, People say, oh, it doesn't happen with property. I've just lost a massive chunk of capital from a property developer. So trust me, property is freaking speculative, whether you like it or not. Um, look at where it's come from in the past. It's gone from one cent to a dollar to a thousand to 20,000. So at some point, someone wanted to, to pay more for it than you, um, whether you believe that or not. And I think with any other well-structured portfolio, you don't have all your eggs in one basket. At the moment, no. The way that cryptos are, the volatility, it's the newest asset class, and I believe 300 years. Property's been around forever. Business has been around forever. Bonds been around forever. Foreign exchange has been around forever. Uh, blockchain and, and Bitcoin is is the newest, right? So it's the most volatile. Look at the whole tulip crisis yeah. from back in the you know 1600s or whatever it was. But any everyone anyone that doesn't have a position in their portfolio, even if you want to trade it as a CFD, hold it on a wallet or something, you don't have a little bit of crypto now, is freaking stupid. If you have more than one percent, then you better have allocation somewhere else. If you have more than ten percent, then you know you're an absolute baller. Um, you know, I'm running a cryptocurrency exchange, and yes, I have my own portfolio, but I still have other things. I still have my sit pension. I still have some property. I still have some property that does income. I don't do as much consulting as I used to, so my consulting business, because I do the exchange full-time. Um, and yeah, there, I, I don't do a lot of stuff in equities, purely because I don't have the time to kind of go through them as much as I used to. Um, but my portfolio is, you know, if you're going to look at a, the, the foundation stuff, is kind of like, you know, property and, and SIP stuff, because they're the slowest moving they're very clunky to get in and out of. Like you got legals, all the other garbage. In the middle, you got your businesses, and you can buy and sell those. Maybe a little step far from there is you kind of more active trading positions you take on a, a weekly, monthly, or yearly basis. And the tippy top stuff, 
that's your, you know, that's going to the craps table at the Hippodrome at 2 a.m. You know, that's, that's <laughs> literally rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry knows exactly what I'm talking about with that, with that remark. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have to assume that it will go to zero. You have to assume that at some point it will go below what you paid for it because there's volatility in the market. Mm-hmm. But for that 1% in your portfolio, that is the highest risk also has the highest possibility of returns. Yeah. You, know, you bought a Bitcoin back in 2011 to now, you know, mm-hmm. you could be buying Lambos for other people, not just yourself, you know. Uh, there is a huge representation over the next probably five to ten years that a lot of people that are betting big on it saying it's going to be the biggest transformational, uh, the, the biggest transformation in wealth, sorry, the biggest wealth transformation uh, that this current, you know, um, uh, current generation has ever seen, you know, from these new projects, new businesses, you know, new, new ways to be accountable, new ways to be transparent, is just going to decimate so many other, you know, businesses that aren't ready to be disintermediated, mm. you know, like the steam train, you know, like, like um, the steam train when automobiles came along, uh, like the post office when internet came along, like any retailer in the world oh, being disrupted by Amazon. No, right. Nobody thought a bookstore would be a threat to their business. The Asda mm. down the street from me that sells peanut butter, they didn't think they were going to be threatened by Amazon, but they are because they could buy it for the same price, bundle a bunch of stuff together, it gets brought to my door for free tomorrow. I mean, that just kills everyone, and no one thought a bookstore could do that. And Bitcoin's going to do, or Bitcoin or blockchain is going to do the same for banking. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Interesting. And I want to, again, I want to kind of link to that analogy because I think the analogy is really good. And to my previous question, I completely understand that you spread you spread your investments across different categories of risk, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but to that analogy, if I'm investing in Amazon in the 2000s, Yep. I'm looking at the strength of the uh, the company. I'm looking at the trend. Yeah. And putting those two together, I'm trying to minimize the risk. I'm trying to I'm trying yeah. to make a bet. But that bet is informed by the trend that I see around me. More yeah. more people are using internet, the computer. Everybody's trying to be as convenient as possible. Plus the strength of the company, because obviously there were a lot of hundreds of Amazons and hundreds of uh, uh, e-commerce providers yeah. back then. But yeah. it feels to me at that stage that Amazon had these assets and had this ethos that was going to propel them to, to, to become one of the front runners in the game. And based on those, I could, I could minimize the risk. And I'm trying to figure out what are the... So I the criteria so, that you're looking for when you're entering and the criteria that you're looking for when exiting this game like what i suppose i mean it's it's very different because it's not one uh-huh. fit, one hat fits all for all kind of like projects so i'd say for like things so like things and things like bitcoin or kind of like uh, you, bitcoin seems to be the bet for a store of value that seems to be the strongest bet and strongest case for it it seems to be decided by the community that's what everyone's kind of betting on it but if you look at other projects like ethereum what you're betting on there is more that you're betting on the, it being the most successful protocol so mm-hmm. it's like investing in instead of in thinking of investing in like a company think of investing in like tcpip the protocol that kind of the well, internet runs on so or a dvd versus laser disc laser disc was actually better but dvd one yeah mm. so it's, it's more it's more the it's more the platform you're, you're betting on the machine or effectively or the platform um rather than on the physical company um does that make sense I think it's starting to. It's starting to. But but what I'm what I'm struggling with is that when when I'm analyzing a company, I have more information than yeah available 
uh, for for me to dig into and 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 again look into. Then I mean I, there is there, I mean there is there are there are projects that are very very kind of like um, don't have a lot of information out about them and I would personally just avoid them. But if you've got things with Bitcoin where people have done like loads and loads of studies on it, you've also got things like um, the white paper. Obviously, it's quite long, but it's it's a you know. To kind of understand the fundamentals of where the creator Satoshi Nakamoto was coming from, it's a good place to read and understand. The same with like Ethereum. If you go into things like GitHub, you can read a lot of the code mm. where you're going with that. So, so there are tools available. I suppose it's just more technical than kind of looking at um, how the company is traded or what assets they hold and where they're kind of going. That, that's it. That, that's it, Henry. And, and to be honest, again, I'm asking because uh, and you might notice that I'm quite curious. And, and yeah, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's a good conversation, and and I'm asking also because I, I'm keen to to get more involved in this space as well. And and to me again, it's just it's just trying to understand, trying to shed a little bit of light uh, on this. Because again, when you're going into any other conversation, any other investment, you kind of understand where this is going and where you should exit at some point. You yeah. go into a company, you see the PE that's super inflated. Is this going to is going is this going to bubble up in the next year? There are some sort of calculations that could could help you kind of understand where this is going. With this, like, um, sorry, just with that with that line of thinking as well. I mean, uh-huh. those the, the, what you say those inflated P and E's and you know the people behind the scenes. You're never going to get the full picture. You're still going to have to take oh, a guess oh. or a bet, as you call it, at one stage because hmm. they could be. You know, they don't judge the market as well as you think they do. That person has a great track record, has now developed a coke habit. Uh, that person yeah. that is really, really stable is now going through a divorce. You know, there's a lot of things that can affect a company that you'll never find on a balance sheet. And I suppose the differentiation between something in a company and the people that run it, which is extremely centralized, and something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of the other projects that are you know, not, not, not owned by anyone, is that the market decides what they're worth. Yeah, the market decides sometimes the direction on where that project will go. You know, there will be a foundation, some overseers, but they have to get, you know, a majority vote to like, should we take the project in this direction? Some of them are very internally run and some of them are very externally run in that one away. And that's why, you know, some of them have been so successful from that, from, from when they, in their, from their inception, because mm-hmm. they're not controlled by any one particular person. They're not dictated by someone having a bad week. No, and kind of kind of going off that as well, you can see like particularly with like Bitcoin, you know the limitation. You know how many Bitcoins are ever going to be minted for in history. That's it. You know, there's a set number. Um so with companies they can obviously sometimes kind of just release more shares or create more shares, which dilutes mm. a lot of their shareholders, even if it's a public company. Mm. And so, you know, there's some value with with things like uh, well, I mean, Bitcoin is is kind of one that we know for sure that, you know, it's going to be 21 million Bitcoin. And I mean, out of that, I think, was it like three or five million Bitcoin have been lost? Some cra- crazy amount. Uh, but, but because between, of Jeff, of course. Three. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> because those original hey. seven. <laughs> uh, say well, uh, wallets that are too small or wall private keys that have been lost. Yeah. That's it. And that's, um, that's crazy when you think about it. I mean, there's other projects, but like other kind of uh, cryptocurrencies or tokens um, are kind of having interest on a lot of them. So that's really loud. <laughs> so um, 
So yeah, so I mean, over kind of over over the years, I think uh, sorry, inflation, not interest. Um, so a certain number will be minted every year, sort of thing. I think Ethereum is doing that, and a few other projects. That's a good are doing point. That well. That's a good point. But I, I, I say this, like, I think Jeff touched it a little bit as well. And I say anybody else that wants to know or just asks me about cryptocurrencies and stuff, like I'd say only put what you can afford to lose. Because, yeah. like, at the end of the day, it's still it's still a massive risk. I know it's a massive risk. I weighed it up and I go, okay, if I can put, like, maybe 5% of my portfolio in it, great. That 5% has a chance to potentially go 100 to 1,000x. That's the worst yeah. the risk for me. Or I lose that 5%, which I could recover, you know? That's my kind of aspect, but I wouldn't throw, I mean, there are people that are kind of going all in and I, I think that's brave. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There was a guy, um, I want to call him brave. <laughs> but, yeah, but he sold his house and sold everything and just bought everything with Bitcoin not long before it went to 20 K. So I'm not sure he's done that well, so, but it doesn't feel like, I don't know, like courage or being brave. It's just, yeah, I have another word for it. <laughs> But it, again, I, I even even with this argument that you just mentioned, now I keep uh, I keep uh, you know going back to those bitcoins that Je- Jeff left in those uh, <laughs> machines. Just feels like it's going to be such a waste. It is. Well, some more forensics to, yeah. to dig those up. <laughs> there was a guy. There was a guy who uh, throwed out threw out his old computer, and I think he had yeah. something. What was it? It was like thousand, a few thousand, a, wasn't a, it? A large oh. number. It was about sixty three million worth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, through it, and so he basically went to the rubbish dump. He traced where it went, and he paid they, people to go look for it. They bought. He bought. He um. He was, try, he was trying. He's trying to buy the land. So, no way. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah, and like track down the people that used to work there on a certain day. So he's like, well, it got picked up on a Thursday on the fifth, so it would have made it in a truck to the tip on this wow. day. So it would have been in this part of the landfill on the Friday. So who was working that Friday? And they're like, wow. where did you drive your truck? And I mean, how are they going to know? Uh, he's, been ser- he's been searching for it for about four years now. He still, he, still, he still hasn't found it. I mean, to be fair, if you knew you had 64 million worth of Bitcoin on your computer, you'd be doing the same. I'd be out with Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I'm, a digi- I'm a digital hoarder. I've still got some text files from like when I was 15 somewhere. Um, that's, that's where it pays to be a digital hoarder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just data, right? Oh, man. So look, looking in the future then, yeah. how do you feel 2050 is going to look like? Wow, I mean that's that's looking far ahead. Absolutely, it's a brave conversation, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff, do you want to go ahead? I've got 20, 20, 2050, I think you're going to have uh, finally some sort of uh, central bank banked currency, or uh-huh. um, you're going to have some sort of individual nations are going to be on a, a digital format or a crypto format. You're going to have, you know, maybe somewhere between a um, sort of draconian state that everyone can see every transaction, but they are immutable and everyone can see them. So your anti-money laundering just goes out the out the out the basket straight away. Um, I think you, there's going to be uh, crowdfunded debt on a global scale. I think there's going to be crowdfunded equity and startup business loans on a global scale, um, and you are going to have the opportunity to have such a decentralized, uh, stable growth of wealth, and people will be able to go and do exactly what they want to do. People getting a job will be able to make a conscious choice between do they want to work or do they want to be a business owner. And they'll be able to raise, you know, some sort of risk-based funding in a very efficient way, in a very safe way um, that also keeps them accountable. We just don't have that accountability layer in there yet. No. But um, I mean, you, you can see the appetite. Sorry. You can see yeah. the appetite for new investments, though, because, like, just look at how the ICO craze went mental um, yeah. the end of 2017. There was just that appetite of people wanting to invest in things they couldn't get a hold of, you know? And yeah. the, and it 
Ethereum's best kind of use case, weirdly, was the ICO. So um, raising money through kind of releasing a token effectively. Yeah, well, um, there's a smart contract thing. And now there are a lot of other platforms to do that. But it's still the default one because the Solidity language is easier to pick up than some of the other ones. But, you know, when there is a, you know, bulletproof, tested, tried, vulnerability, drop and drag version of it that doesn't cost... You know, it doesn't cost the company a hundred thousand pounds worth of a developer's time to build it, um, and then get it audited and all that kind of garbage. Um, then you'll see, you know, you'll see another shift, you'll see another swing. But it's going to be compounded that much faster now with, you know, with AI, with decentralized oracles, with you know all of that other stuff that we've already built that you know seems a bit useless right now. When they all start coming together and they all start communicating together, that's where you know that's where the party's going to be. So 2050, um, I don't like to kind of, you know, we talk about that, try mixing too many texts because it's still going to be, we're still going to have fossil fuels. I think people think it's going to be a bit more leisure-based than commuter-based. Um, I see it that, you know, you'll be able to raise some sort of mortgage um, and prove that you own a property on some sort of uh, some sort of blockchain or some sort of DLT and that, you know, as an investor, you're like, I really like that street and I really want to invest in properties on that street and you can go and buy a chunk of every single house on that street. You know what I mean? And you might even be a fractional ownership, fractional dividends, all that kind of stuff will be, you know, will be the norm. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, if, the first step. Whether we still, still have mobile phones then is, is another thing. But you'll <laughs> literally carry your wealth around you and it will be recoverable and it will be tied to your, you know, biometrics identity. or your identity yeah. somehow, you know. Um, well, I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's where I see it. These are the really interesting use cases for it that I see as well. It's like identity, uh, land registry. So obviously, you, if you've got that on the block, I mean, it just makes sense why it just makes sense to have it on something like a irrefutable ledger, like the blockchain. Um, and it would also make it a lot easier to trade. So you could trade assets. So the future I see is kind of very similar to what Jeff's saying, but also being able to trade every kind of asset you could think and is being tokenized. So everything will be tokenized. And everything be constantly traded to the point where everything would probably be traded by machines in the same way that a lot of Forex trading is now just done by um, algorithms. Um, and I think the value of a lot of these things will hopefully be a lot more. But um, I do also agree that I think someone like the IMF will probably create their own global currency as a cryptocurrency, um, as a kind of stable coin if that makes sense. I could see that happening. The empire future. strikes back. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna, of course they're going to use, use it. Like, why wouldn't they? If it, if it was successful, that would be the first thing I think we'd see happen. Some, some, like, I'm sure the countries would try and release their own uh, cryptocurrencies, but like as in their own currency in a kind of, I say cryptocurrency, but what I mean is their own digital currencies. That's what I mean. China's, um, already, China's already doing it. They're replacing, they go. they've got a project to replace the, the one, Yuan, Juan? One, 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 right. yeah. there we go, um, to back it or at least to have a digital exposure of their current money supply um, uh, represented on a DLT. You've got, uh, while not in a crypto format just yet, but you've got some of the Nordic countries which are pledging to be completely cashless uh, in a paper format by like 2030 or 2025. I think something like this is Sweden or Denmark. I can't remember which one it is. Feel free to, to correct me. They're already like 75%. You go to some countries there now and no one accepts cash. It's all tap or card or, you know, iWatch if you've got one. Um, so they're already, you know, they're already on track. You know, money supplies are expensive. You have to secure them. 
you know, anti-counterfeiting measures, all of that garbage. I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, even from Australia, so, I, read a, a crazy, I read a crazy statistic in Australia that um, uh-huh. uh, 8%, like ne- nearly 10% of the money supply is held by cartels. So they're like, we need to move to digital <laughs> because then once it's digital and there's no entry exit points, they're done. How do you, how do you anti-anti money launder, you know? Interesting. Interesting. So both of you kind of agree that the future holds a cashless society. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm talking about the, phys- the, phys- more... the, in the on the physical area, yes. And things are much more transparent. Right? So, so blockchain enables almost complete transparency and much better liquidity, it feels like. Right? So you yeah, I think so, yeah. buy parts, um, investments I mean, quickly. Yeah, I think on the investment bit, I think traveling. I mean, I, I did the whole, um, I went from London to LA to Australia, back to LA, back to London in a month, and I didn't touch cash once. And that was just using Revolut, you know, um, because I could use the tap, I could use the same technology in every single country, but I could get billed in the local currency and I could flip between them whenever I wanted. So I never had any leftover loose change. And just that alone, I mean, the fact that it's Revolut, let's just get away from that for a moment. But the fact that that digital layer and the existing infrastructure exists shows that it's already possible. Like just getting in, like an Uber from the airport into town, which you, you know, oh, 50 bucks, which is about this much. But, oh, then I got the FX fee, then the bank's going to charge me. And then there's taking all of that, you know, the stuff that you're usually would neglect doing because a centralized party will just keep skimming you off the top. Not having that problem in the middle is actually quite you know it's actually quite cool i'm with you yeah Yeah, i think it's really good and and on that so you have the digital layer really shielding you from all these frictions between economies which is great exactly i'm curious because you you mentioned something when you were describing your vision for 20 uh 2050 there was there was something in there that i I thought was really interesting You, you mentioned something about human capital Right about you being able to crowdfund really easily, uh, and again, a very fluid society. Hmm. I'm curious about that aspect. So, how how do you think human capital is going to? And again, well, Harriet, he, well there's uh, always there's always like if I could invest in every single asset uh-huh. class on the planet, then I would. But I don't have enough capital to do that um, mm-hmm. because there are not you know there are certain but there are there are. Uh, entries to ent- barriers to entry because of the cost of compliance and KYC and all that kind of stuff. So there are, you know, there are some FX funds and hedge funds that you have to have a hundred grand before they'll even talk to you because it's not worth their time. Mm. Um, you know, but if a thousand people get together with you know, a couple hundred bucks each and it's all completely digital, eh, then really that barrier to entry doesn't exist anymore because you're doing you're taking all that legwork away. And that human capital on legwork is what, you know, excludes a lot of people from decent returns. So I'm happy to get a 2% return on something if there's a zero chance of failure. I'm happy to get a 5% return if there's a little bit of risk and it's more of a long-term play. I'm also happy to take, you know, quite a massive risk to get a 15% return. But, you know, my exposure might be that small that I'm happy to lose it, which is what crypto is right now. And there might be stuff like, you know, decentralized loans. You might have, you know, mortgage-backed securities, all those kind of things that are way more fair and, you know, much better managed because they don't have a human greed element involved. Mm. Um, And that's where I can kind of see it going. How it looks like and how you program it and how all that, I don't know. 
but I can just see it leapfrogging all of these barriers to entry. I mean, you learned as Henry as well, like the, the yeah. crypto market two years ago to now. I mean, yeah, it's changed so, so much. It, so it's changed so much. I mean, just on the on the on the on ramps and the and the off ramps, and you know the you know your your bank won't not some banks will still slap you on the wrist for for buying crypto with it, but a lot of them are becoming more and more open to it because they're aware of the counterparty. They know who Coinbase is. They mm. hopefully know who Get FIFO is eventually. Uh, those kind of ones where they go, cool, we know them. They're regulated. We know them. They've got a really good team. We know them. We've never had a chargeback, you know. It's these other rogue, the, the rogue players in the industry are what are causing the problems. Yeah, and there's a lot of them. But I mean, you get it with any kind of new of course you asset class or any you, kind of, you, and you still get it with the existing ones. I mean, look at there's there's the news in the paper as a a bunch of traders that all got the same train from Essex into London every day. They call it the Essex Express, and these guys were at RBS at Barclays and somewhere else, UBS. That was it, RBS, UBS, and Barclays, uh, and they'd all trade forex. And they'd all get on like a, what was it, like a Telegram chat or WhatsApp or whatever it was, and they would systematically move the market on a couple of days a week to get to so they make their margins. Yeah. So they were, you know, they were fixing the FX market on certain pairs, certain times of the day, uh, <laughs> for like three years before they got caught, and they got charged like what two billion in fines. Now that two billion is irrelevant because they probably cleared more than ten billion. That exactly. Still, it's still an eighty percent return. That's the, way, that's, that's the way it kind of goes. Imagine right, I'm going to have to. Oops, sorry. I'm going to have to end it now, guys. Um, but thank you, Jeff, for coming on. And thank you, Peter, for taking coming on as well and asking the questions. They're really, really good. I think we'll have Jeff on again because it's a really, really kind of informative conversation. And, and yeah, Peter, I'll, I'll invite you along as well to chat about... Happy days, gentlemen. It's been great. It's been emotional. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love you both. I really I'll enjoyed the conversation. Sure. I hope we'll you're going to have sure. a lovely evening. So everybody, yeah, check out, check out Get FIFO, uh, Jeff Hancock's company. Um, yeah. Uh, anything you want to say, Jeff, before we finish? Um, no, I was just going to plug both of us, really. I mean, uh, I, I stream twice a week with a Malta TV show, so I put all the content on YouTube. Uh, Henry, you're very active on, on Twitter as well. So I say follow us both. And if you ever have a question uh, for you know, anything crypto, really, or anything tech, uh, then you know, both of us are quite active and always happy to have a convo about it. So, yeah, reach out and get in touch. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. And what's your Twitter handle? So people know. Uh, at Jeff underscore get FIFO. Uh, otherwise, if you just if you just go to Twitter and put in get FIFO, you'll find either mine or the or the company or the company tag. Cool. And mine is uh, at Henry Rook. So that's Henry R O U Q. That's where you get all my tweets about uh, this sort of stuff. <laughs> cool. Thank cool. you very much for the opportunity. Did I really appreciate it? No worries. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks so much, Peter, for coming in and um, having a chat. I'll see you all again soon. Take care, guys. Have a great right. day. Right. Bye.